Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the high school of the dead of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, aka a limited edition ICS Vortex costume, now available at Spirit Halloween. (laughs) And I am the Black Metal Guy, aka uh, just discovered uh, moldering tape featuring... uh, the entirety of Storm of Steel recited over forest poetry played backwards on loop. <laughs> that sounds that sounds solid. Sounds sound highly collectible. Yeah, no, I think sounds uh, like we've got sounds like we've got the next three episodes of Terminus set. Yes, <laughs> I think we got. Uh, yeah, and we got a lot of money off Discogs. Yeah, we just we just found some extra copies that were buried in the closet, guys. <laughs> that would be yeah. That would be just start making bootlegs that are basically like your own weird remix albums. I I have entertained the idea of doing like a limited edition. It's like, what if we just dubbed Terminus episodes onto fucking cassette and oh, see if no, anyone that's will buy them? Pretentious em. thought I've had too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, patrons, if you subscribe at the $600 tier, you get access to this. Like, yeah, yeah you, we'll, we'll even put the episodes over um, Strength and Anger played backwards. <laughs> that's just, that's it, that's it. It's just any Ildjern record works. But. <laughs> yeah, what, what, what are the rules on remix and context, recontextualization? They're like... Doing sick trap beats built around Iljarn samples. That's 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 the next level of black metal right there. Um, but yes, ladies and gentlemen, I am back after my ayahuasca vision quest with uh, Will from Mortician. Uh, feels 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 good to be back, boys. Um, so we've got a show. We're we're actually back. You know, we have we have for the most part settled all of our various IRL commitments that we've had to deal with that sprang up sight unseen. Um, here we are, black metal guy and death metal guy back in the saddle again. And I know everyone was scared for a while, but don't worry, the band hasn't broken up. We were just on a hiatus to do our solo projects. I think um, <laughs> that's a thing that happens with every channel, right? It's, this it was, there's just the trial by fire, but I think uh, I. I think both of us, I don't think, like, we were both just, there was never any doubt. Oh, there was, there was never any doubt. This is, you know, this is the, the, the primal spirit of Terminus lives on no matter what. Um, so we've got a, uh, a neat episode for you, but, uh, first thing that I want to say, uh, this happened kind of while we were, uh, while we were on break. Well, actually just a few days ago, really, uh, you know, rest in power to Stuart Anstis, uh, the guitarist from Cradle of Filth who played on, uh, Dusk and Her Embrace and Cruelty and the Beast. Um, so Stuart, you know, the, the Cradle of Filth lineup and history is incredibly complicated. You know, it's like incantation level intricate to remember who played on what record, but, uh, Stuart was a very defining part 
of, uh, you know, Cradle Phil's uh, golden age uh, back in the early days. Uh, apparently, he didn't write most of the stuff on Dusk. That had already been written, but he was the only guitarist on that record, so kind of all the arrangements are his. But he was the primary writer, possibly the only writer on Cruelty and the Beast, a, uh, a record that stands alongside all of their greatest work as being particularly exceptional. Um so it was uh, it was sad to see that he passed away at I, I believe only something like forty eight years old, very very young. Mm. Um, not sure about the details of it, but especially given that we're going to be talking about Cradle of Filth a fair amount a little bit later in the show, uh, I think it was uh, valuable to mention. You know, as a, a a guy that really cemented their guitar style uh, in a way that a lot of people didn't. And was that that kind of thing you've referred to as basically death metal style playing? Uh, single sort of, string trem stuff. A lot of single string trem stuff. Uh, definitely, you know, that era of Cradle has a lot more sort of dissonant death metal influence stuff. Uh, their mm-hmm. first record, Principles of Evil Made Flesh, is especially death metal. But on records like Cruelty and the Beast, you know, those kind of like black thrashy sounding riffs you'll hear sometimes. Really what they are is kind of primitive death metal riffs. Mm -hmm. So I think Stewart had a lot to do with that. And I believe that he had a lot to do with the sort of Iron Maiden derived neoclassical guitar arrangements. A lot of the, uh, I I believe, don't quote me, but from what I've seen, it seems like he was responsible for a lot of the sort of dueling harmonies and stuff that came to define that era of the band's guitar style. Um, So it's it's really sad to see uh, him passing, but it is cool to see people digging into his work and uh, appreciating it as uniquely his, rather than just part of the, the background radiation of Cradle of Phil's constantly rotating lineup. Yeah, well, you should play one of his songs as a outro or, or something. Oh, oh, yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll definitely throw something from Cruelty in here. Um, so, uh, with that being said, uh, rest in power to Stuart, and on with the show. Um, real quick, uh, just the regular housekeeping. If you want to follow us on social media, you can follow me, the death metal guy on Facebook at terminus podcast, or you can follow the black metal guy on Instagram at terminus extreme metal. Uh, additionally, if you want to, uh, fully support our dark arts here on the terminus extreme metal podcast, you can subscribe to us on Patreon. Uh, $3 and up gets you access to all of our Terminus Prime bonus episodes and our Terminus After Dark, just sort of laid-back, chillin' Joe Rogan-style material. (laughs) And uh, $5 and up gets you access to the Terminus Black Circle, our private Discord server, uh, where we mostly share memes and talk about our favorite dinosaurs. Um, Higher tiers have other bonuses. You can look those up on your own. But for now... Let's get back to what we're best at, talking for way too long about records nobody's heard of. Hey all, this is Brandon from Cromley, and you're listening to Terminus. All right, boys and girls, for our first record of the night, we have a, uh, a returning champion to the Terminus household. Uh, this is the newest record by Vergeblichkeit, titled Unabar Dane. Uh, this is an independent release, uh, digital only, currently on Bandcamp. Uh, for those of you who might not be familiar with the name, we covered the previous Vergeblichkeit record on, I believe, the very first episode of 2021. Um, so it's been about a year and a half uh, since the last record. 
And for those who aren't familiar, which is probably a lot of people, this is a project that flies really under the radar, even though this is actually the seventh full-length record. Um, Vergeblichite plays what you can generally refer to as gothic black metal, but uh, sort of as I said on the original review of that previous record, not in the way that you're thinking. Um, This is a one-man project out of Austria, And what makes it distinct from other so-called gothic black metal is that rather than sounding like black metal from people who listen to a lot of goth music, this feels like music that works from sort of goth rock as the primary material, Mm -hmm. um, but folds in a lot of elements of black metal, but especially on this record, just a lot of different styles of metal in general, to the point where I would argue that maybe at this point, gothic black metal is a misnomer. Uh, This is just a very sort of idiosyncratic gothic metal record that is pulling in metallic ideas from all over the place. Um, The record last year, we both really liked. It didn't make it onto either of our lists, but I think it, looking back, uh, I gave it another listen before, uh, you know, setting up my notes for this record. It probably should have. Um, It's definitely not an everyday listen for me just because, you know, I have to be in a certain mood to really enjoy gothic stuff, but it's a supremely well-executed record. And I guess just to sum up my general thoughts about this new one, Unabar Dane, I think this is a um, a more challenging record. Uh, it's less immediately catchy than the last one, but probably a better record for it. Uh, this is ambitious music uh, that clearly has a ton of care and work put into it. And what it lacks in sort of immediate earworm quality it makes up for in more sophisticated structures and i I guess just a more detailed sense of the project's identity itself but uh i've been talking enough uh uh, black metal guy what what are you thinking about the new one i'm just so happy to hear your voice again (laughs) i know i know (laughs) (laughs) hashtag no homo um anyway the uh yeah, so this is, um, I think you're right about it. Yeah, gothic black metal not being really the right tag for it anymore, and maybe never really at all. Maybe that we just do that as a function of the everything being labeled black metal thing, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, this, this record very clearly doesn't sound like that, and we can talk about it in a number of ways. And, you know, to the degree that I've been sort of... <laughs> rather underwhelmed by a lot of black metal over the last year or two. Um, It's just, I'm totally fine with that. Great, a thing that isn't black metal. Um, It's uh, the, um, you know, I think the last one was aesthetically more my thing. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, more just a very sort of consistent, intense atmosphere. Not in an everyday listen sort of way, but in, in a way that I... In, in a way that, like, connects with me more. This record is more... De- it's deliberately sort of emotionally fractured in an interesting way, um, which I think makes it a tougher listen for me. Agreed. Uh, or, like, yeah. a less intuitive listen. However, yeah, I don't think that's a bad thing. And I think the less black metal this gets, the more itself it gets. Like, the... Um, mm, yeah. 
I, I like I really liked that kind of Aosoth type stuff on the last record, and this is the, like the heavy murky blasting, which was not like riffless pointlessness, right? Um, it was um, I liked that, but it does clearly that's that's completely dropped out and clearly this is exactly the same band so it must not have been essential you know what i mean yeah i agree this is um you know by the time you get to this point in a band's discography you get to like the seventh full-length record you can understand that all of these records are at this point going to be based off of similar raw materials but I think that it's interesting how this record really incorporates all the same individual elements as the last one, but comes out with a radically different mood and aggregate effect. We, we should, for the people who are, um, you know, listening while they um, noodle for gators and whatnot, the, um, <laughs> we, we should we should tell them how the cover looks, which is, you know, so, so this guy's aesthetic, right, is um, his... His stage name is something like it's what is it something about like the lost or the desolate horse? Yeah, Eintracht Losepferd. Yeah, yeah. And oh, and, sh- uh, by the way, shout out to him for sending this record yes. into our email because we, I mean, anybody who we've covered on the show, please send us emails when you have new stuff because yes. we can't track everything all es- at once. Especially in in the last few months when we've both been kind of like. Uh, just walloped by life um Mm -hmm. it's uh yeah as the show keeps going on nudges are good but yeah i think this guy also listens to the show which is pretty cool yeah Um, yeah we we had a nice exchange last time and we've we've talked a bit this time but um he his whole thing is that he he wears this sort of like pony play bondage helmet that just (laughs) makes him look like a leather horse man um and uh and so he's got this leather horseman thing on, again, you know, against this like sort of surrealist blue sky background, and the album cover is very kind of, you know, the album cover aesthetically connects to some of the influences you're hearing here, which we'll get to. But yeah, it's a rose surrounded by you know chain link and barbed wire against this empty blue sky, right? Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I I, I do kind of like that. Um that daytime or like summertime goth aesthetic. I've always thought that was neat. Yeah. And, and, and previously, I guess this is the other thing I meant to say previously, his stuff has all had, had very sort of bleak, you know, we've had this sort of like, you know, d- dead girl with the cross and the cigarette, you know, um, uh, uh, bleeding hand with some worms or maggots, shit like that. Right. It's been mm-hmm. sort of down the line, gothy. This is this is a change, and part of the way that this feels more emotionally fractured is the fact that there are all these kind of weirdly blue sky moments here. He, oh yeah, the, the, the comment on the YouTube also or description that must have been written by him. Oh yeah, I was gonna I was gonna mention that it does yeah. describe it very well. Yes, this music is made for itself. This music is about the futility of existence, the inconsistency of the inner self, and being at the mercy of these forces. So. Just that in itself is not really a black metal emotion. Right? Yeah. That kind of, like, fractured modern complexity. Um, it's certainly a very gothic one, though. Ab- absolutely, yeah. It doesn't mean it's not an emotion worth exploring. And uh, and all the more interesting to hear someone who is familiar with and gets black metal exploring this other territory, right? 
Um, mm-hmm. The uh, yeah. Um, any other overall comments? Yeah, I guess it's been interesting to hear how the black metal parts have basically been changed out in a certain way, which I'll get to in some of my samples. Um, and I think we should talk about the sort of uh, deliberately mercurial schizo vibe here um, and how it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think yeah. I think we I think we're gonna have I think we know what we need to talk about. So let's fucking go. Um, first sample. Um, yeah, so in terms of, like, changing out the black metal parts, this is uh, the second track, uh, Mutter, Diner, and Los and Vehen. Uh, so maybe Mother of the Endless Way, is that something like it? Something like what, that. It's, it's been a long time since I've yeah. spoken German, so yeah, yeah. I can pronounce it well if I read it, but I don't necessarily know everything. Yeah, yeah. But so, yeah it's, it's Mother of Endless something, yeah. Something, all right. There, so basically... This is an example of the kind of blast parts we get on this record. There are a fair amount of blast beats on it. Um, however, they're not black metal blast beats. Um, and you should listen to this and th- see what you make of them. And just also the whole context is just... The, the whole situation is a black metal. And we'll talk about it afterwards. here are those are definitely uh program drums right yeah yeah these are these are all programmed yeah overtly programmed drums um and the interesting thing is that they are uh well, well a couple things first i guess about what's being played over it right this is not really any you could hear guitar like that in a black metal context, but it really is not black metal guitar playing. It's like killing mm-hmm. Joe Goth stuff. Yeah, um, I, I was I was actually thinking of that um, while it was playing because there, 
Uh, so this is a, a timbre that he likes. We heard it a lot on the last record, that sort of watery, maybe mm-hmm. flanged, clean guitar mm-hmm. stuff. And the only thing immediately in metal that I would compare that to is maybe like Blood Oss Nord, like Work Work Which Transforms God mm-hmm. era stuff. That that makes sense. Yeah, there's certainly some of the stuff like, uh, yeah, sort of the more industrial side of the early what became Disso. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Um, but like, yeah, it seems like Killing Joke and Christian Death. I get the sense of like, Christian Death is one of those bands that although they kind of have party... Christian Death is one of those... Like, Killing Joke is one of those bands that's just not popular because it's difficult music. My little sister always used to say, it's boy music. Um, <laughs> you know, because on paper, on paper, it was related to a lot of things she really liked, but she just couldn't. She was like, "I respect this from a distance, right?" Yeah. yeah. Um, and Christian Death is quite popular because of the charismatic frontman and the, um, uh, you know, there's there's some some weirdly catchy songs, but the guitar playing is just truly uh, eerie bad acid trip kind of flanger ringing watery stuff um hits queasy intervals things like that and there's a lot of stuff like that going on throughout this um even the way that he's just like wobbling on certain notes um in that right it doesn't it doesn't develop in the way that a black metal riff or melody does Mm -hmm. um yeah uh it it, sort of it almost feels like there's a conscious effort to avoid black metal melodic structure across a lot of this yeah 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 um and uh it's and so underneath that there are these blast beats but they're like kind of um they are in you know there's this sort of industrial you know we always talk about how we like drum programming when it's done in this industrial way where it's like yeah these are programmed drums so we're going to make the most of it right Mm mm-hmm so though these these are very frankly electronic drums, and he seems to be playing them on his keyboard or one of those pads. Um, like yeah, it's po- pad. It's possible like that this is a hardware drum machine. I've I've had friends who have done that. It's an interesting kind of bridging of the techniques. Yeah, or one of those things that rappers use, you know, like the, <laughs> uh, the, the little the little hand pad. Um, uh, you know, I have a friend who does that shit though, just on his keyboard, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he'll be like, I'll, he'll be like, what did you do the other night? He'll be like, oh, you know, I just drank a few beers and just like played along to Bloodfire Death on my keyboard. <laughs> well, no, it's like a lot of people don't realize a lot of the early programmed stuff in black metal was done on like Casio keyboard mm-hmm. drum sounds. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So what it sounds like here is that he's taking advantage of the interface and he's taking advantage of the fact that he's not a drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, Like there seem to be mistakes in there. But the weird thing is, like, there, there are these ways that the beats trip over themselves. However, they're too regular to be actual mistakes, mm-hmm. which means, like, they actually fit in the rhythms, which means he either made mistakes and then realized, hey, that sounds good. How do I, like, work this into the drum part? Or yeah. quantize them into the right spots. But yeah, like, it's interesting because, like, listening to the previous record again and comparing it to this one, I I can hear certain, like, idiosyncrasies about the way that he likes to program drums, which are um, 
which are not coming from a drumming background, but are very cool because he's taken these eccentricities and he's made it an inherent part of the yeah. project style. Yeah, yeah, you can actually hear physical expressiveness in the way it's being played. Like, it's aggressive drumming. It just... It sort of does a little horseshoe theory thing where we go around drumming and we come back to the spirit of creator. Right? <laughs> or whatever, right? Maybe it's just the German thing, right? But the um, it, it doesn't sound anything like creator or Sodom and the energy is completely different. But the idea of, like... B- a sort of a, a blast beat that's like deliberately tripping over itself in a way is, is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he always likes to tie those blast sections together with those kind of um, extended Tom fills that aren't, um, mm-hmm. they're not like rolling Slayer Tom fills or these kind of like tribal patterns. Like I, mm-hmm. I actually thought as like a reference point for a lot of the drumming on this would be like, it sounds very strange. Maybe not so much as we play more samples, but like, Chaos AD or Roots Sepultura, you know, uh, that sort of thing. Just these heavy downbeat oh, Tom I mean, arrangements. Honestly, some of the guitar too. Right there. Oh yeah. Like, well, like what we were just listening to—that sort of oscillated pinch harmonic thing. Well, actually, that's that's a, a good way to get into my first sample, where we're going to talk about. Okay, so this isn't really gothic black metal anymore. What is it? And I think a lot of the guitar influences are going to surprise people. Maybe not as much as they would have five years ago, now that a lot of these styles have kind of come back into critical acceptability. Um, But let's listen to uh, Von Pike Ausgeleert, um, where we're going to listen to actually some of the heaviest stuff on the record. And we'll do kind of a deep dive on, so where are these guitar ideas coming from? So, uh, listening to the last record, 
there were definitely extremely heavy moments, but not quite as like completely churning as a lot of these are. Just these incredibly heavy, you know, just just nasty downpicked riffs. And I was thinking to myself, well, clearly this is not even lightly related to black metal. What is it? And frankly, I think a lot of it is like new metal and groove metal and sort of uh, some of the some of the sort of crypto hardcoreisms that you detected on the last record. Um because there's there's ways oh, to did, did did you listen to our last review or did you just yeah I went I went I back and remember it. I went back and listened to the review yeah. as well yeah. uh, just because I, I think this is an interesting project and I wanted to reference our thoughts on it um, no it's it's cool I, I like how weird this shit is um, so yeah there's a lot of ideas that are straight from new metal and groove metal and probably more immediately proximate the uh, new Deutscharte movement from uh, Germany uh, in like the late 90s through probably the late 2000s. I mean, a lot of those bands are still around. Um, so I think it's kind of interesting uh, because if if our, if our my general thesis of this project is correct in that the guy behind this is primarily a goth dude with a very extensive and expansive appreciation for metal it kind of makes sense that he would incorporate these ideas without any of the hang-ups that maybe a straight-up metalhead would have. Uh, because if you listen to the opening riff off that sample, this is right from the beginning of the track, that main riff is not too far from something like Blind from Korn. Um, just these kind of like churning uh, chromatic slides uh, arranged in that scotch snap, one-two-one-two-one-two style. Um, mm -hmm. and I think it's really cool and it's interesting how easily it dovetails with the more obviously goth stuff. Uh, isn't it, that also like a deathcore thing? That sort of like heavy downbeat, like, isn't it like the classic sort of like chug on the zero thing? Um, I, I think it is for, well, I, well, one, he's not doing it on the zero. There's a real riff behind that. That's true. That's true. But it's a, I mean, it's death quarry, but it's definitely death quarry in the manner of bands that were trying to access, you know, like decapitated spheres of madness, like, like a band like Whitechapel would do that, um, who were like, who always tried to edge more to the actual death metal side of the style. But I get what you mean. Um, but what I think is really interesting is the way the more obviously goth stuff, you know, like the, the watery lead stuff interacts with that. And I'm trying to think of like an, like a direct comparison that I've heard before. And the only thing that I can imagine is sort of early two thousands, gothy new metal stuff. Like, uh, do you remember the band cold from back in the day? They did a record called year of the spider. No. But I, I think that might be like a fair thing to say about corn. Oh yeah, I, I think like a lot the, of people. You know, there's very gothy guitar. I mean, like it's Godflesh might be the more immediate reference point, but there's very fried gothy guitar work happening throughout that. Yeah, and I think that's something that people forget is you know the juxtaposition, especially in that era of, you know, I mean, you know, goth means something different every five years, but like. 
when I was in high school, new metal kids were called goth. Probably not correct, but you get where the cultural zeitgeist is going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those, those were the people who were called goths for the most part. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm guessing that the guy behind this project is probably in the same age bracket as us. So maybe some of those influences are incorporated with no self-consciousness whatsoever. And I think it's very cool. It's cool to hear something extremely heavy, but also very goth at the same time that just doesn't access the kind of stuff we usually cover on the show, uh, you know, in terms of like extreme metal rigor. There's there's an openness to this music that I really appreciate. Yeah. And there's a compositional like, yeah, so it doesn't have the aesthetic rigor of the sort of deliberately deliberate closedness or the sort of like deliberately monochrome or um, single single substance approach to songwriting. However, it's totally rigorous songwriting. And in that example, like, and in my first sample, I think you could hear is the independence of the guitar parts. It's yeah. something that I like a lot, which is, um, and which we got a bit in the, um, uh, in the Dressed in Streams last week, too, um, which is this kind of independently moving guitar parts, where it's not like this one is the riff, that one's the rhythm, or this one's the lead, that one's the rhythm, or this is the riff and that's the stupid filler lead. Um, like, there's riffy shit happening on two to three levels. And sometimes it's not like... Sometimes it's not like... Sometimes it's just counterpoint, and they're playing different rhythms. And sometimes there's... The lead seems to actually be doubling the basic rhythms in the root, but, like, the riffs are moving in completely different ways, and even with, like, different tonalities. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. I mean, and this last sample that I played is a really good example. You know, the way the lead guitar sort of winds around independently of the more aggressive rhythmic stuff underneath it. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like deliberately out of sync uh, in a way that's really cool. You know, I, that might be a good way to describe the whole record. It's sort of out of sync with itself in a way that's neat. Which is kind of, I guess, what he said it was supposed to be about, right? So, yeah, um, that makes sense. Um, It's, um... All right, so let's go to my next one, if if you're ready. Oh, yeah, sure. Actually, I was considering sampling this one. This is a really great song, also. Yeah. So this is, um... Solaria on Totlos' Ferd, maybe... Solaria, a deathless horse? Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think Solaria is a word. I think it's maybe no. some sort of like no, fantasy no, no. idea. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know it's not a word. Uh, um, but uh, so for this, like, um, well, I guess a funny thing that's happening on this record, right, is that this record has way more like deliberate moves towards poppy sounds and ideas but is harder to listen to. Right? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. The last record is way closer to the extreme metal idea of uniform texture and mood. Uh, but, um, and for that reason, in some ways, it's easier to listen to. Or, like, it's closer to sort of, like, the majestic, somber goth that you get in, like, Fields of the Nephilim or something. And in the, the but, gothic metal stuff that you usually get, yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. Right, yeah, more catatonia on the last one, right? Although mm-hmm. still plenty here. Um, but but so this record makes all this sort of like there's 
So this one's more overtly poppy, but harder to listen to. But the last one also had this sense of pop sensibility, not in a, you know, not in a top 40 sense, but like what makes a good goth song is, did I say this on the last review? What makes a good goth song is a simple, a sense of simple direct melody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Just the it, kind of thing that like pop songs often have located in the vocals or guitar, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's no such thing as prog goth, you know. That's that's that doesn't yeah. really work. Or, or you know, like um, I don't know, you know, there are there are certain very underground black uh, or underground goth bands that work more like industrial or black metal bands that really just are like like and also the trees is like really weirdly riffy and textural and the vocals are sort of deliberately not doing vocally things um or like cranes works like industrial but like a lot of the greatest bands right joy division the cure fields of the nephilim um they they like they were weirdly close to the mainstream Fields of the Nephilim, Moonchild was a top 40 hit in the UK. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love the idea that they managed to inflict that on the public. Uh, (laughs) And, um, like, but but the point being, like, listen to this. There's some, like, there's some really good, uh, yeah, really good goth songwriting here.
You know, I I can't believe I'm just thinking of this now, but Bethlehem has to be a big thing for this guy. Oh, you know, I thought of that the other night, too. I barely know Bethlehem, but this must be how it sounds. Yeah, no, I I remember it was last year when we covered the Black Death record. I had Mm -hmm. sampled some Bethlehem, and Bethlehem has a similar thing going on of, like, very deliberately difficult music that is... Nonetheless, like very goth inspired, like th- there is an argument to be made that Bethlehem is a sort of gothic black metal band, oh, just sure. in a, a very, very strange way. Um, but the juxtaposition of elements here, especially when he gets into that very like DSBM vocal style, that strikes me as like a mid-era Bethlehem thing all the way. In, in, into into the what part? In, uh, the, into the, the, the blasty part? Uh, yeah, where he, where he starts doing that very, like, broken, shrieking vocal <laughs> style. He's got a lot of vocal range on this record. Uh, but that was definitely like, oh, okay, so that's like Suicide or something like that. Yeah, and the, the last bit, um, you know, there's a cool tie-in from the sort of... Uh, you got this thing of sort of like the, the churning uh, downbeat breakdown guitar... Um, with the sort of tinkling arpeggiated stuff at the beginning and at the end. And the passage that we just had at the end, which is like the big chorus release, obviously recaps the passage at the beginning, and that also appears elsewhere in the song. But they have totally different textures and feels. Um, the first one is a lot more sort of tense. Um, and this second one is more like a big release. And that, that last thing is just, you know, that sounds like that's a big catatonia moment or even sounds kind of like that like i don't know some like modern metalcore stuff you know like like mm-hmm. japanese sound anime sounding metalcore but i mean that in a good way no i know what you, you mean know? you um, know i mean this yeah. is one of the few passages I, I think the passage you're referring to is one of the few that's like very cleanly consonant but yeah. there's also um what he's doing he's, he's kind of playing around with the octave range because you know that sort of clean guitar is so high and that sort of metal quarry riff is so low mm-hmm. they're harmonically in sync but you know these are like two and a half three octaves off of each other so it has a sort of dissonant effect anyway yeah and it yeah and it's still very heavy and they're densely textured chords and the harmonies are interesting yeah so you know yeah this is never like shallow sugary music um oh and just also like as a wrap-up thing the distinction i really meant to draw is there are a lot of like a lot of gothy bands that started after like 2010 really suck because they didn't understand the thing about melody so you get all these sort of like aesthetic exercises from like people who are really into like french cold wave from the 80s or like punk kids who just started playing like killing joke beats and Mm -hmm. like doing this kind of tuneless one note shit over it and it's like that is it they they just completely missed how the music worked Um, yeah yeah i i think that people forget that a lot of goth music was fundamentally intended at least on some level to be like dance music in a yeah. way D- dance dance music and it was sort of you know it was passionate and lush right or you know i mean i guess you couldn't say that about the killing you know lush you couldn't say about the <laughs> Joy Division. but um there you know uh yeah there was just a lot of melodic inflection in it 
Um, and there was a naturalness to the... You know, that's what this guy's good at. He's good at natural melody. That last section was very natural. Mm-hmm. And then he'll just immediately spits it out into that sort of, um, y- you know, the scronk at the end. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, relating to that, so there is one element on this record that wasn't present on the previous one, which is a sort of uh, gothic electronic thing. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it is not immediately recognizable to me. Like, it doesn't sound like cyber goth or something. Um, it, it doesn't sound like Eisenfunk. Um it's, uh, I bet this guy fucks with Cybergoth, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, d- don't we all after enough drinks? No, that's true. <laughs> I mean, no, I've, I've seen, uh, yeah, I've I, seen I, Christ. Yeah, I, I've seen Comic Christ also. <laughs> it's, uh, no, it's uh, it's definitely fun. But what he's doing with some of the electronic stuff is not um, not like Cybergoth, not like, uh, you know, danceable house speed stuff. It's a little bit more like sort of gothy trap or something like that Mm -hmm. and i have mixed feelings about it i think the composition of a lot of those parts is solid i think there might be issues with some of the mixing just because mixing stuff like that is radically different from mixing the rest of the music Mm -hmm. um but i want to play uh a sample off uh wohin es in das dunkel fließt uh and this is one of the places where i can detect you know maybe not a not a concession but um a, a willful engagement with more accessible stuff. Like you can hear the gothiest parts of Depeche Mode right under the surface of some of the stuff. And there's something about this sample that feels immediately familiar to me. Um, I don't think it's a more melodic Ramstein track or something, but I think it's definitely something I've heard before that's being accessed in a referential way. So if one of you listening knows what it is, Paste it in the comments so I can listen to the original as well.
So I especially love uh, at the very end of that sample the um, uh, the thrash beat underneath the contrasting rhythms of the uh, distorted and clean guitars there. It's really cool. It's almost like um, almost sort of a, a metallic replication of, I don't know, like Aphex Twin, you know, sort of like a selected ambient works type stuff. You know, just these, these different rhythms and textures cutting across each other, but still in a very organic, very sort of danceable way at the same time i just think it's super lovely and that, yeah that, that's the word i was gonna use that whole thing was just lovely I yeah mean, yeah it's know, so that, cool the, the guitar part i don't know what it reminds you of it, it i guess the other thing to say but about that guitar part in general that and a lot of the brighter parts the more blue sky parts on this record sound like chameleons to me Mm, um, yeah, because I, I think you talked about chameleons when we covered the last record. Yeah. Maybe. Oh well, and also for Meslamtea, I think. Oh yeah, is, yeah. Weirdly, I think if I try to think of any band that sounds like this, especially like this record, I think of Meslamtea. That is that's interesting, and I I get it. You know, I mean, if we think of. I, I think it has to do with, like, you know, what are you considering goth? It, you know, is it like a style of music or is it a mood that you access through certain techniques and certain melodic and harmonic ideas? And if it's the latter, I definitely see how all those things relate to each other. Yeah, th- there's an affinity. I mean, there could just be an affinity cutting across genres or whatever, but they're like or a convergent evolution, but... But yeah, Meslam Taya is for sure gothy in a way, and um, I I don't know, just the, the sort of the sh- the shifting moods, the um, the play of light and shadow, the kind of lyrical and tender parts, and just the willingness to be really unpleasant. I feel like they have a lot in common there.
shooting this shit for about an hour uh, <laughs> to, you know, it's been a minute, we're catching up, to review Dawn of the White Rune by White Rune on Hammer of Hate Records, which is a sub-label now of, um, I think, of Cult, K-V-L-T. Yeah, when I saw that in the notes. When did that happen? I think, I think in the last few years. I they, We've been getting compound promos from them for a while. Oh, okay. But yeah, yeah no, I mean, Hammer of Hate's got a history. We we were both... Is that the guy from Anal Blasphemy? Oh, well, they've released a ton of Anal Blasphemy. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it probably is mm-hmm. one of the guys from that. And Anal Blasphemy is possibly the coolest band ever. So <laughs> Fanta- Fantastic band. If you ever wanted your... Uh, your Baharit with your Satanic Warmaster. That's the band. And um, and way more retarded than <laughs> either. Retarded. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, but what is this? Um, this is in the tradition of sort of thin black bands becoming more interested in symphonic black metal. A thing that's been going on, I feel like the move was called uh, a number of years ago now with Satanic Warmaster's Fimbleventer, mm-hmm. um, which I didn't really get at the time, but that was before I got really into Satanic Warmaster, because I'm, I'm a fucking contrarian, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we've yeah, talked about this on the show. We both refused I, to, we, we so like... Stubborn, <laughs> stubborn idiots. Um, yeah, but the... Um, uh, but, like... I went back to it recently, and it's a very cool record. It's this kind of, like, love letter to everything he loved about the 90s scene, and he's got all these different kinds of riffs on it that you would never hear on the other records. But mm-hmm. So that was kind of a, a, a turning point, I think. Um, and since then, it's become more of a thing, and the project that's now really well-known there is Vargrav, right? um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, by V. Chaos, which is who was actually the guy who was doing most of the riffing on that Grieve record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I remember, I think I misattributed Werewolf, but it was actually, he said he wrote one of the songs, but it was mostly Vegas. Yeah, Werewolf clarified that for us mm-hmm. in an email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Vargrav has become kind of a, a, a standard bearer for neo-symphonic stuff. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll, we can come back, but, um, yeah, what, what else? So this is... Uh, well, yeah, let's just, yeah, let's, let's, let's take that angle. Let's go. So, um, let's, 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 let's name drop another creator, shall we? Um, you know, <laughs> there was that, that video by Wyatt X him. He talked about black metal, right? And he said, he said that he thinks, you know, he's, he's like, a lot of people think symphonic black metal just has to sound like Emperor on In the Night Side Eclipse, right? Yeah, it's, Otherwise, it's basically Emperor or Nocturnal Mortem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if it's not one of those two things, it's like, you know, gay and false, right? Or uh 
or, you know, silly and keyboardy or whatever, right? And I, I think, you know, I think that's a pretty good point, right? There are other bands that would be exceptions to this. Everyone likes Kvist. People almost don't even think of them as Simph Black because, mm-hmm. because I, I, that's a whole other thing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a genre that's become black metal person and not like a goth, right? Symphonic black metal is very clearly about like that one record and a couple others clustered around it. Um, and you're a little bit suspicious of anything else. And his point was, why does it have to be that way? And so the, this White Rune record is a really good answer to that question, which we'll get to. Uh, but in terms of like something that epitomizes the satan- the sort of symphonic black metal has to sort of sound like Emperor thing, I'd say it's Vargraf, right? Which is not to fault Vargraf. It's a very deliberate homage to that era of Emperor. Right. Mm-hmm. And it does kind of exactly the thing that we would all in the abstract want from that. Right. It sounds it has the sort of uh, it has some of the, the sort of big orchestral arrangements on night side. But it, it's a little more down the line black metal. There's a little more guitar oriented stuff and it, it's simpler. Right. Mm-hmm. But the limitation to it is that it's just never something like that is never going to have the richness or the romantic symphonic scope of emperor at that time right it's it's, yeah. it's, it's a tough it, you know that it, there's a reason nothing sounds like that anymore right uh and um it's so so it means that you know this is a it's a good band and it's a it's a cool homage but it's kind of restricted to being a genre a genre exercise mm-hmm. and so the question is yeah how how else do you do it in a in a true way and coming out of this finished scene and how do you do modern symphonic black metal that sort of hits in hits in the right ways and that doesn't involve becoming stormkeep right um which which is something that's been very popular over the last year that just sounds like demo Borgir. um <laughs> but um so to i think we've both got some ideas about where the influences are coming from here um this is uh well real quick just because mm-hmm. you you haven't mentioned it yet uh, let's talk about the personnel behind this band because i think that's pretty relevant to our understanding well, of the whole thing yeah so this is a yeah we we just got we got carried away so this is uh uh ruto Kili from uh Silen Vahonen, also known as matthias is um and he is a friend of the show and the uh, and his brother, um, and they, you know, there's a new project, and it is stepping away from the kind of more sort of stompy street, RAC influenced Finn Black they've done in their other bands, um, which is a kind of distinct sound, related but distinct from the usual sort of Franco Finnish thing, mm-hmm. uh, and. Um, both nastier and more heavy metal. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's tougher and more directly second wave inspired. Yes, and yeah, it's more second wave as well, right? You've got more kind of yeah, biting emperor riffs, and you've got kind of overt Iron Maidenisms, mm-hmm. right? Um, and uh, so you'll hear that in the background here, but it's that kind of method being applied to symphonic BM. And we've got two takes on what this sounds like. Um, my thought is what they're doing here is that they're 
pushing symphonic black metal to both sides of what it is, right? Uh, so that you, you, you don't get trapped in the emperor paradigm. On the one hand, it becomes more keyboardy, more hooky, more video game music-y in a kind of dungeon synth way, mm-hmm. right? And at the same time, it becomes more stompy and physical and menacing in this kind of uh, street fin black way, right? It's you're almost it's it's more nerdy and more thuggish. Uh, yeah, it's it's it, well, what it is, it's it's very trench coat. Oh, that's yeah, that's a good point. It's yeah. very two thousands in a way. Yeah, you're walking down the wrong street, buddy. This here's a dungeon. <laughs> um. And, and yeah, so it, it's a sound that in some way, because in some way, these are the things that, that are big right now, right? Stomp, you know, sort of this kind of like stomp, highly melodic, but stompy, raw black metal. And on the other hand, dungeon synth, right? So this is a way, on the one hand, this really gives the kids what they want, but in a really cool way, it is not pandering to them at all. Uh, and so, yeah. So what, what's your take on this? So, well, I, I wrote the notes. I wrote my notes before you did. So I, I'm very glad that um, <clears throat> your uh, your correspondence with uh, Ruto Kieli has uh, sort of backed my play here, yes. where I say that far and away the primary influence here is early Cradle of Filth. Mm-hmm. Um, probably most specifically Dusk and Her Embrace and Cruelty and the Beast, but basically extending between uh, Principles of Evil Made Flesh and Midian. Um, This is, there's a lot of techniques that are sort of directly from those records. Um, I think that the influence of Cradle of Filth is felt now primarily in individual riffing ideas, but here, structurally, there's ideas that are sort of pulled from those records. Um, and I think that's really cool. And what's interesting to me is, you know, over the years since we've been into extreme metal, there's always been this back and forth debate over how to categorize Cradle of Filth, especially their early material in, you know, the greater metal sphere. And, you know, the, you know, people played around with all these terms over the years, you know, extreme gothic metal and stuff like that. When in reality, records like Dusk and Her Embrace, they're just black metal albums. You know, they, they, it is a black metal record. It has all this gothy stuff in it, but that doesn't take away from the fact that it's inherently black metal. Well, it's just black metal being made with different composite ingredients, right? We've talked about this before. The English, when the English make second black metal, they are taking death metal and combining it with goth. Right, that's how Acrocock works too. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, but then uh, White Rune takes that a little bit further, and they go a little bit further down the kind of the traditional black metal rabbit hole. And maybe an even more immediate comparison would be um, the sort of also ran bands around Cradle of Filth, like Hikate and Throned, um, who are a band that I've gotten a lot more appreciation for over the past few years. Oh, that, you know, that was that was also a thing that Wyatt said in that YouTube. Which oh, was, okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, which he, he was repping them hard, and I think that's a totally fair point. I had a phase, back when I first knew you, I was listening to 
that first heck at a record all along. uh slar the innocent right yeah 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 mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah that record uh dark requiems and unsilent massacre they're really cool they're just I mean, honestly the hecate that that the early hecate is the closest i think i would get to another emperor ep yeah, I, because it's basically Cradle of Filth, but hewn more closely to second wave tradition. You yeah, know, yeah. Um, you know, it has all the sort of gothic elements of COF, but in in terms of pure, um, you know, moment to moment riffing, it is closer to real gnarly second wave black metal. It's got a lot of boop da boop da boop da. Yeah, yeah, and that's similar. That's similar to what's going on here on this White Room mm-hmm. record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's definitely moments that are pulled very directly. There's like elements that are pulled very directly from Cradle of Filth, uh, but I. That's not me doing like a gotcha thing. That's great because I see early Cradle of Filth as perfectly consonant within black metal itself. You know, you know, you, we can make these arguments about, you know, gothic influence and stuff. But the reality is, if you're are any of the techniques employed on Dusk and Her Embrace that fundamentally different from De Mysteries, Dom Satanas? OK, little bits here and there, but the 80, lyrics are super black metal. Yeah, they are. They're, they're some of my favorite lyrics ever. I mean, Danny Filth is one of my favorite lyricists of all time, it, which is also a count against him that it shouldn't count against him that he has known the embrace of a woman. Yeah, yeah. It's like we, we have sex, too, guys. <laughs> we, we just can't all have vampire nymphets like he can. <laughs> Um, but let's uh, let's listen to some of this music and let's start really diving in because this is this is actually a really interesting record. It's just a sound that I didn't think was going to come back. I guess. Yeah. So um, let's yeah let's just go with the calling card track. This is um, number three on the record. It's the second full length track after the Iron Claws of Satan. Um, <laughs> this is. Uh, so this is White Rune Rising, and it exemplifies the two kind of, the high, well, high-low isn't quite a right way of putting it. The um, the sort of more, yeah, the more dungeon synth and the more sort of street black tendencies that are going on here. And how it, it takes this, it, in the same way that Emperor took thrash metal and death metal and moved it to both sides moved it both to you know sort of made it even more filthy and punkish and much more lofty right this is a different kind of going both ways at once going on here and you'll hear some of the important component parts Yeah. 
I see the white rune rising. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> Dude, yeah, that, 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 that's... You're singing it like Danny Filth. Dude, I love how audible and just articulated the vo- the lyrics are on this record. It's like, I can, I can just type them out as I listen. Oh yeah, we'll come back to that later. This record is definitely sort of rubbing people's faces in what true Satanism is. Yeah. It's supposed to be, right? Um, and it's also just like, it's it's like when we talked about Numa Hagion, it's just cool metal lines. Yeah, it's just talking about like, castles and killing people and that rules <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um it's it, yeah, yeah absolutely so um the uh yeah so so what what things to point out there um uh the sort of um you know you've got Right, you've got just at the beginning of the sample, you've got the kind of ornate Castlevania keyboards just over a one-two stomp brawler beat, uh-huh. right? Um, which is just unusual. You don't hear like you, you don't hear that kind of stompy syncopation in symphonic stuff almost at all. Um, they do the uh, another thing this band does is there's a really cool sense of continuity in unexpected places, so. They they get through the I see the white rune rising part, and then you think that's kind of the chorus, right? Because it's kind of a refrain and it works like a chorus. And then they drop a blast on the last rep of that, and then the blast just continues into this new part that's mm-hmm. actually more like soaring and epic, right? Uh, and the keys just take off and glide. Um, and you know I love the organ tone. Um, and then that sort of more sweeping mood is sustained, and the drums just go to a, like a downbeat um, half blast almost. Uh, yeah. So there's a really cool sustained um, the a thing you'll hear continually is that like one. One thing that sounds like a chorus or a climax will just turn into another one, and not in the sort of way that, like, a pop song like Living on a Prayer does, where it's like, oh, shit, that's the chorus, man, right? But, like, where they're using black metal ideas of repetition and continuity to just bridge section, big section to big section to big section in cool ways. No, that's interesting. I did notice that there's a a sort of, um, it's interesting, almost like a a structural conceit that's a little bit unique to this, like the idea of a Mm post-chorus. There's a lot of places that'll have, you know, a big you know, vocal heavy part, usually that will cite the name of the song, <laughs> which is cool. We should do more of that. Um, and uh, like the real giant riff will be after that. Cause that happens here. It's like the whole part of, you know, you know, I see the white room rising cool, but basically pretty simple, like supportive riff. The real giant Finn black riff comes after that. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's also with the keyboards in a way, in a way that's different. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, um, yeah, in, in a certain way, I mean, it kind of is like the living on a prayer trick, right? Because the <laughs> chorus in that song sounds like a chorus. It's like, oh, that's pretty cool. 
And it's like, whoa, that's a, whoa, man. Yeah, we're living on a prayer. <laughs> we're halfway there. But and, then and, you're, and yeah, and then you're actually doing it. <laughs> and they kind of pull that trick, but like the way they get you to bite for the thing that sounds like the chorus first is that it's the pile up part, right? Yeah, yeah. And for like a regular stompy black metal song, that'd be great. It's like, okay, cool. Here's the part where we all yell the menacing thing. It right? is It is very cool that this is a symphonic black metal record that is always moshable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the blast parts are super... They're not like... Ab, a lot of symphonic black metal it becomes less... Less physical. that makes yeah. a lot of it less interesting is that the blast beat becomes abstract and just like this mm-hmm. kind of um, uh, weight or space or something like that. It's just right. a texture underneath the keyboards. Yes. Um, and this is... Give, yeah, so th- this is just doing a lot of cool things. We've also got to talk about the drums at some point more specifically. I don't know where we should do that, but note to self. Yeah, no, I, there, there is a, an interesting philosophy behind the drumming um, of it is more musical than a lot of black metal bands. It's yes. yeah, yeah, it just in but in a very like sort of meta structural sense, like you were talking about the, that trick that you love of, you know, the blast beat continuing through the next riff without even a marker that mm-hmm. it's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of sort of blending sections through continuous beats, you know, ideas that don't sound that sophisticated when you just talk about them, but in terms of writing a song are actually very unusual and interesting. Oh yeah. There's also um, intense, just, yeah, there's musicality in the play. Um, and, like, not in the sense of, like, finesse, but in the sense of, like, intense um, attention to detail in a physical performance, right? He's interacting with the guitars. This is where, you said it in your notes later, right, that there's some brotherly egging each other on going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, Rudakili is doing the, the key, doing, the, you know, the guitars and the keys, and his brother, Soldau, is doing the drums, Right. Um, and uh, the drums and, and so there, there's an actual interplay between people who know each other as musicians and as people very well. There's a playing in the garage aspect to it. And you'll just get ways that like the, the drums in stomp, the stomp parts are never wrote. The stomp parts are always, the drums are always like attacking and embellishing and sort of pushing the beat in interesting ways. Um, yeah. It's just cool. Yeah. No, it's a, it's definitely um, well. Actually, the the note that you're talking about is my next sample, uh, or my first sample, rather. Uh, so let's go to Soulstorm, um, and I'll get all of my, I'll attempt to get all of my Cradle of Filth comparisons out of the way on this one. But this was one of the tracks that made it like super clear that that was at least in my mind like the primary motivating drive. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's listen to. Uh, let's listen to these guys do their own version of the Danny Filth spooky voice. I'm going to call it. (laughs) 
So um, it occurs multiple times across this record, but, uh, you know, Ruto Kieli there is doing Danny Filth's spooky voice, I'm going to call it, or his own version of it. You know, when when uh, Danny does the, like, uh, pitch-shifted kind of, like, whispery growl stuff for the especially gothic moments, um, uh, there's a lot of that across this record, and it is... I'm I'm pretty confident in saying it is a direct uh, idea sort of taken from that, which is cool mm-hmm. because as I've said on the show multiple times, black metal vocals should be more expressive and more dramatic yeah, because kind of theatrical, you say. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because Attila is the greatest black metal vocalist of all time, so everybody should be more like that. Um, so that's very cool. Um, in terms of riffing a really interesting thing happens um you know after the big dramatic opening section where you have that sort of uh descending palm muted riff that you think is going to loop into itself after the first three or four chords but it just keeps descending it keeps elaborating on itself in a really interesting way um it's not just a simple looping riff it is almost like a, a huge linear passage unto itself. Big chord progression, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and there's also very interesting drumming stuff happening underneath that. Uh, you know, this cool little hi-hat play that's going on, um, some interesting sort of beat fluctuations underneath the same basic chord concept. Uh, it, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you've got two brothers in a room together and you can really feel that energy in the music of like, you know, it's like, I mean, it's almost counter to the principles of the show, but to make black metal can be fun. You know, it can be a process of like getting together with your boys and being like, oh, let's do the sickest thing possible. <laughs> you know, let's do. But in this, for White Rune, yeah, it's I like. The point, I think the point is it has to be, you know, it can be completely serious and still be fun. Yeah, yeah. And that's one of the things that I really like about this record is the sense of. 
there is a very unself-conscious quality to this where mm-hmm. symphonic black metal inherently carries a kind of absurdity with it just in that like high art, low art dichotomy that it's natural to it. And I like the idea of people understanding that and celebrating it. Well, and and the fact, I mean, I think also the thing about the symphonic black metal stuff is that most of it couldn't deliver on the initial claim of having the high art component. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like, a band like Kvist almost sounds completely alien to that tradition because it just, the synths and the, the chords don't sound dated at all. And they mm-hmm. sound actually sort of like late 19th, early 20th century classical music. Right. Uh, the, um, or uh, the Gregorian record we reviewed last week had no mm-hmm. keyboards on it, but was functionally symphonic black metal in a way that a lot of <laughs> yeah, black yeah. metal records aren't. The symphonic parts on this do not sound like classical symphonies. They sound like sort of fantasy and video game music. And yeah, yeah. And that is the point, right? It, it's not like there's no. I'm sure they listen to classical music, right? They're they're very there's there's rich chording. There's you know, rapid runs. There's like. There's real musicianship happening, especially like there's fancy stuff happening in the key parts. They're just not. It's more soundtracky, right? It's not. It's not supposed to be evoking Wagner or, or you know, yeah, or or, or Bruckner or whatever. Right? No, it it, um, it is it is symphonic stuff used in the specific idiom yes. of symphonic black metal. Exactly, and so this band recognized right. Part of the thing is that some of the bands would end up as pretentious because they didn't realize that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you think you, you know you think you are doing one thing and you're actually kind of doing another, right? This band knows very well. Okay, if we're making symphonic black metal in this tradition, it's going to have this kind of like soundtrack quality to it. So how do we do that the best we possibly can, right? Yeah. Well, how I mean, that's we, that's actually you know, and. Um, that's a thing that I wanted to say when you were talking about comparing it to like sort of dungeon synthy stuff. I think you're like, you're like giving it up a little bit too easily because it's like dungeon synth is in a large part based off of black metal, like synth intros and outros to records. Like they don't, they don't get to own that. All right. Oh, we, we I, keep that. You know what I mean? Oh, oh I guess I, I, I know what you mean, yeah, and obviously Dungeon Synth is degenerate, but like... <laughs> For the um, most part, yeah. Yes, um, uh, you know, exceptions to every rule, but uh, it, it is... I guess what I meant was the way that the kind of Dungeon Synth that's popular now often embraces the uh, soundtrackiness that was more like inadvertent or accidental on some of those earlier records or just kind of taken for granted. Um, there's a, like, these days you'll get Dungeon Synth that is just like, yeah, fuck yeah, this sounds like Castlevania, right? Or, um... And, it, and it's somehow and, less and it, cool it, than when we were just jacking Castlevania melodies, you know? No, I agree. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that there's a... What I'm trying to say is that the melodies here deliver sort of immediate and effective hooks 
in the way that the best video game soundtrack music does and the way that a lot of like symphonic black metal didn't mm-hmm. and the way that like um a lot of nowadays dungeon synth really is deliberately trying to do often very very clumsily um and often that's all it's offering right and i don't think there's any point to somebody who's just reproducing video game soundtracks on an eight you know on with eight bit sounds or whatever and calling it a dungeon synth record right Mm -hmm. like even if he's doing it well right i just don't fucking care right but here there's like there's no like nothing is being done to these melodies to make them sound like evil in the way that like you could just throw in a random dissonance or yeah uh, or extraneous chord color or you know what i mean is is that making sense no i, I get it i get it yeah it's know, it, like, it's it's a symphonic black metal dungeon synth is this sort of degenerate spin-off of it but dungeon synth gets very direct about the video the, about some of the yeah no it, the it, things it, that everyone always liked about it right the things that people liked about cradle of filth but dismissed as cheesy or whatever right yeah this it, band is just like that is the effect we are trying to produce and if you do it deliberately and with a serious artistic and spiritual intent it will sound good and it will not sound wimpy yeah it's like i mean what you're getting at is sort of like dungeon synth didn't need to be a genre it yes, could I completely agree. We, we just these are black metal guys playing um playing you know PC RPGs back in, you know, the late 90s. And it is cool to do your own version of the menu theme of Baldur's Gate because there's a, a natural idiom there of like, I mean, we've talked about it on the show, people who are playing black metal are playing Baldur's Gate. So there's there's a logic there inherent. There there is uh, a a continuity between these ideas, and we don't need to pretend that there is this sort of like musical lineage behind it that is so called dungeon synth. Obviously, I know there are people doing dungeon synth type stuff back in the '80s, but bear with me. You know what I mean. Um, we understand what we're doing here. We are paying tribute to these certain sounds that reflect. A, a thing that we all love and we can appreciate it on those terms specifically. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, that's the thing that's fucked about nowadays. Dungeon synth is that it's been completely decut. Like it's finally been cut free from black metal. And now it really just appeals to like green haired losers. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, um, like the re- the reason as opposed to, as opposed to us black haired losers um, or no haired losers no-haired like me. Losers, exactly. <laughs> yes. um, but let's let's listen to more music. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So let's go to, in terms of the like willful embrace of uh, things that are immediately gratifying in melody. Right. Uh, let's go to Crimson Lament. The keys here are awesome. Um. And the keys just give you that, um, the key, they they sound epic, they sound vampiric, and they're just like, 
viscerally gratifying, right? No fancy dissonance, no evil touch, no unnecessarily evil touches. They just sound cool and sinister. Um, but underneath that, you will hear that serious black metal emphasis on disciplined repetition. Uh, and um, you'll hear that sort of chorus choruses extending into other choruses and then you realize oh wait that's just the stuff the song is made out of So I've got a weird theory. Um, I think a lot of these riffs, especially in those sort of like long verse passages, are based on vocal ideas. That kind of makes sense. That's kind of like what we were saying. What I was saying in the last review about, or about you know, goth being about a kind of immediacy in melody, mm-hmm. like singable melody or whatever. I, I hear what you mean. Elaborate on that. Well, I think that, um, because this is the second time just in the samples we've listened to where there is a sort of basic riff archetype that gets extended and elaborated on like sort of way too long in a way that I think would be a little bit unnatural if you were just sitting at home writing riffs on guitar. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So it, it makes me think that especially with like how prominent the vocals are and like how clear the lyrics are that it's like, maybe lyrics are written first for some of these songs and then riffs are sculpted to fit them, but they're not content to just loop the basic idea of the riff. They keep elaborating off it. There's, there's very long individual riffs on this record, but they seem to just be like, progressing and descending along 
like a logical chord pattern, but not in a way you would typically hear in a metal song. Right, so the continuity you're getting is from the vocals, and the riff, that gives the riffing a freedom to just change the notes under them. Right, because you get that like, do, 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 do. And I hear what you mean. That particular motif, you might have a hard time getting mileage out of if it were yeah from the vocal, right? But the vocals are doubling it, so it's giving the melodic thing to the vocals, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it frees the guitar up to change it from iteration to iteration in a way that it wouldn't. This yeah, is not, it's, that, that makes it's, sense to me. It's almost like a riff is configured around uh, an idea in the vocals, like a yeah, you know yeah, the, yeah. this sort of paragraph of uh, of dialogue about hating mankind from within your castle and shit. You know, and, and that relates to a broader thing about um, yeah. Well, I, I mean, yeah, th- that's a it's a little bit different from the classic from classic heavy metal writing, but it's also really close, right? So. One of the things that's, like, I've been listening to a ton of Armored Angel lately. Mm. They're crazy. They're written in a way that is just unlike other extreme metal. He writes the vocal parts and the riffs together very clearly. I'm not sure which exactly comes first, but they they link, they're clearly linked in the way that they would be in in early heavy metal and in rock songs. Yeah, yeah. But because it's fully fleshed out heavy metal riffing, or like extreme metal riffing, it's just, the effect is just mind-blowing. Um, and, or, you know, like the early Metallica songs even have that. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and oh, I went back to kill them all recently. And, and uh, uh, Diamond Head, who you always yeah, mention. Oh, absolutely. That, that's a good point. Yes. And so like, I, you know, that might be a kind of like, yeah, th- there might be some, a bit more of like, yeah, I like what you say about here there's this kind of abstract thing where you just come up with the vocal line and then sort of write the guitar freely under it later. It might be a slightly different method, but it's the same kind of like treating it all holistically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we've talked before about how I've com- I was complaining on the last episode about how modern black metal is grid-written very often, right? Where like, okay, everything is just a delivery mechanism for sugary riffs, and everything else is kind of... The drums are basically... Might as well be dragged and dropped. The vocals are just there. Um, and nothing... And, and that's a particular weakness with Finnish stuff and stuff that's influenced by it. Like third-tier Finnish bands and shit like that. And bands, mm-hmm. and the, the gajillions of people from other countries imitating it. Right, and you know French French sounding shit. Right, it's the the stuff that puts that much emphasis on the guitar line, and it has this deliberately stripped down presence in the other instruments that was originally sort of punky and minimalist, but it's since been lost. It's people no longer know what it's for. Right? Yeah, it's just it's um, bloated beyond recognition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's just there. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, the guitar parts have bloated and everything else is atrophied. Um, and so it's um, this is the opposite of that. It's uh, it's compositionally sophisticated and it's also tough. And every part is responding to every other part. And mm-hmm. that, that, that's yeah. pretty cool. It's it's the opposite of grid. It's totally non-grid written music. Yeah. So um, what you're describing is sort of like. This is a thing that I've been ruminating on recently. The idea of like a lot of black metal has just become a riff delivery system 
Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the same way that a lot of, you know, bad hardcore is just a breakdown delivery system. It's like mm-hmm. it's like a lot of black metal bands nowadays, it's like everything might as well be interchangeable except for the riffs. There is no real energy given to vocals or drums or bass. It's, it, yeah. This isn't particularly riff-centered music. The, the, yeah, the yeah. real action is happening, like the sort of melodic action is happening in the keyboard and guitar interplay. Like, and the cool thing is you can't hum the melodies. What was the melody on Crimson Lament? <laughs> right? Like, and, and it goes on for like, there's one, conti- the sense of continuity in that, especially towards the end of the sample, is just insane. And, you know, although I was talking about the way that they're embracing this kind of great, we know we're not trying to imitate classical music directly thing. Mm-hmm. The compositional chops in parts like that are really impressive. And, mm-hmm. uh, um, it, I mean, that sounds like Baroque music, right? Yeah. It's the, a, the emphasis it, on these like rolling organ lines. It, 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 it does, uh, these rolling organ lines that, that are, you know, it's like the idea is 16, 16 phrases long, right? Rather yeah, it's, like, it's breaking out of that four to eight bar yes. grid. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so so there's all sorts of awesome compositional stuff being done here. Um, and, uh, yeah, so well, let's go to your last sample. And then we'll, we'll, we'll step back a bit. Yeah, so... Death at Sundown. Uh, this is easily my favorite song on the record. And uh, I guess the, the question I'll offer the audience and to you uh, before I play that is, uh, is this a black metal song?
Oh man, dude, yeah, that that last like dual lead riff, <laughs> you know, is fucking outstanding. But here's the question: Is this is this black metal? I don't think it really is fundamentally. Well, that's kind of what I was getting at with the dungeon synth thing, right? You know, I was not trying to smear this with the dungeon synth label. I, I, I mean, more like it is compositionally different from black metal, and it's going, it's sort of doing very similar things emotionally, but with this sort of like different toolkit. Uh, and this track is a really good example of that. Um, there was one, right? The, the the Finnish black metal riff on there is a fucking stonker, right? It's it's a stonker, but it's it's also one of those. They only do two reps of it. And yeah, they it, just keep going. It's also one of those like, um, you know, when we sort of, I I say discovered, you know, as though it didn't exist, but right. when we discovered on the show that like Suomi Finland Perkele like anticipates a ton of developments in Finnish black metal. It's like these, a lot of these are things that could be on that record and more materially. I mean, you know, immediately that I'm going to compare a lot of this shit to one cent from the golden hall, um, as well as like, um, early dissection. Uh, you know, there, there's parts of this that are very early dissection and, well, it, early it, dissection and Swami Finland Perkele would both count as black metal. I take your point about one cent from the Golden Hall. Yeah, but I would also argue that um, I would argue that for both of those records, the most essential qualities of them, you know, the the things that we remember best are not really black metal technique, at least not at the time. I guess my argument is I, I think that Finn Black in particular has internalized a lot of like melodeath logic to the way that it constructs riffs, but it comes out really distinctly here. It's like, these don't work like black metal riffs. They work like melodic death metal riffs. And I think that it's cool to, I think the whole idea of like melodic death metal as dramatic fantasy music has been kind of forgotten. Like nowadays, melodeath is like very modernist. Um, But you know, this gives me the vibe of like early dark tranquility and early in flames. You oh, know, I, I hear that, and for sure, those have to have been a big influence on uh, on the Finnish bands. I, I think, um, yeah, I guess. So there, there is all that. Yeah. I, also, I that's mean, it, it. Is also like five stonker riffs in a row, right there. Right. It's like holy yeah, shit, no, dude. Yeah. So yeah, that one riff is. There's the one riff in the that one is almost the yeah and then where it goes like da 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 that crazy yeah. like, <laughs> holy shit right but that's yeah that's like, like a that's like a Hades Almighty kind of yeah. thing yeah no yeah kinda yeah it's like um but it's it also is just like a way that a bunch of it's a very finished thing to do um it's it's um ah. Uh, but like that, that riff is an exception that confirms the rule riff because mm-hmm. I, yeah, I guess what we're saying is that this is a Finnish black metal record that is really far from what people expect of the style in terms of how it's executed riff to riff and beat to beat and on a compositional level. And even though many of the melodic kicks it's delivering are the same, 
I guess you could say, I guess maybe, yeah, maybe that's your point. It's like, emotionally and in terms of the kinds of melodies, this will sound familiar to people, but it's all being done with very little of the standard toolkit. Or, a, or I guess I would argue a toolkit that's just kind of been forgotten since like 2002. You know, it, I mean, I. But it was this, so thoroughly, it was so thoroughly digested into those early bands that it's sort of been forgotten. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that this, this record honestly has, in the same way that when we covered, you know, Suomi Finle Perkele, this is a record that makes me kind of reevaluate certain ideas about Finnish black metal. Like, um, you know, because the Finnish riffing style is so completely dominant in black metal right now, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it bears further examination. And maybe there's an argument to be made that the Finnish riffing style is not just black metal. It's really sort of a melodic black death style, sort of imported originally from Sweden and then folk ideas were kind of injected into it and turned into this distinct figure. I, I I actually buy that. I mean, that goes with the whole thing with me realizing that maybe it's okay that I just like the Swedish bands better than most of the Norse bands. <laughs> no, no, yeah. And, and, and that like a lot of the sort of black death stuff um, is... Yeah, it's you like know, you, it, you can it, hear it how this relates thing. to Vinterland. You know? Yeah, this, this, oh, for sure, Vinterland, for sure. And, well, yeah, this sort of goes with the thing where I thought, like, oh, you know, the sort of, surely the more sort of corded, neoclassical, sort of epic parts of something like Dawn or Sacramentum or whatever were the black metal parts, right? Because they're so different from, you know, cheesy Melodeth or whatever, right? When I was younger. Mm-hmm. And then you go back and you find, oh, God, no, the people who were playing these originally were like, it was on the early Dark Tranquility and the very earliest dissection. And, in fact, bands like Dawn basically predate Gorgoroth and shit like that, right? Um, That, if anything, some of the Norwegian bands doing the more epic things seem to have been listening to these Swedish bands who were more heavy metal influenced. Um and so, yeah, I, I think that's true. Or, like, the whole idea that, like, the Swedish bands, whatever they were doing just needs its own name because it's not really black metal or death metal. It's some, it's, it's, its own kind of thing. Um, yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think that's a good point. And certainly the idea of that sliding, moving cording was, it was just being done on this very fancy level by the Swedish bands and you could see it then getting stripped down to a kind of DIY thing with Satanic Warmaster. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I and know. no, I get it. And I, I yeah. think that it's, it's cool to listen to a band like this that is following in the tradition and reincorporating branches of it that are, let's be honest, symphonic black metal as a conceit is like, like on life support right now, I would argue. So I think that it's really cool to listen to guys doing something very authentic, but also calling back to ideas that we all loved 20 years ago, but we haven't heard in a long time. 